Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Hello, Miss Heather. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. This is going to be fun. It is. So I have to admit that um, I found you by way of my mother who her and I share similar tastes in books and she's sent me every single book I've read of yours. And I have to do an instant shout out to her because she's really your biggest fan. Oh, that is the sweetest thing I've heard. That's, that's, thank you, mom. Yes. Well, it's fun to have a connection, a mother daughter connection like that, where she's like, oh my gosh, you have to read this. Oh my gosh. And then this um, last book I read of yours, she was like sending it to me like, oh my God, her new book came out. Like you have to get this immediately. Um, The middle of Hickory Lane was the one. And she was just like, it's my favorite so far. And so it's just fun. Oh, that's really sweet. Um, so I want to take some time to dig in a little bit to some backstory, but I also want to just introduce the audience to some of your work and hear you describe it as well. But of all of the books that you've written, so you are a fiction writer, author, um, I have read Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe, South of the Buttonwood Tree and In the Middle of Hickory Lane. So I'm realizing I have some catching up to do because I'm missing a couple of your books. You're missing actually quite a few of my books. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, um, excuse me, like, like a dozen. Um, so I just finished writing at the coffee shop of Curiosities, which will be out next summer. And that was my, that will be my 33rd published book. Oh my word. Yeah. That is, what an incredible amount of work that you've done. I mean, that's crazy. Do you, how many books do you write a year? So these days I'm only writing one book a year, but for a long time, I wrote multiple books. I wrote mystery series, um, for is the majority of my career is mystery series, Mm -hmm. um, which I switched from mystery series to writing standalone fiction with, um, midnight at the blackbird cafe. That was my first standalone novel and the rest have all been series. Oh, okay. And I also write as Heather Blake for mystery. So there's a, there's a little crossover there. Oh, how, I mean, I love, everybody loves a pseudonym. Like how amazing is that? (laughs) I know. (laughs) I made sure to choose one. It's a family name, but I made sure to choose one at the beginning of the alphabet because to be shelved closer to the beginning in bookstores. Oh, that's so strategic. I love that. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't actually pay off though, because when you start at the A's at the top, sometimes the B's are still at the bottom. So Um, you just got to go in knowing what you're looking for sometimes. Yeah. Well, what made you choose to switch to these standalone fictional novels as opposed to continuing on with the mystery series? Um, so there was, there was a few things that happened all kind of at the same time. And when I very first started writing back in 
1998. My very first novel that I ever wrote was this big sweeping family saga um, that kind of had everything in it. It had uh, a baseball story, love triangle, second career priesthood. It had an angel in it. It was really my first foray into magical realism. And Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't know the term for it back then. I just had the story I had to tell. And um, so I kind of came full circle with it. I'm back to writing those kinds of stories again. Uh, but I was writing mystery series, and my the last mystery series I wrote is called the Wishcraft Mystery Series. They're, they're lovable witches set in Salem, Massachusetts, and it's full of magic and romance and mystery, of course. Um, but my books, it's a nine-book series, and by... Probably the fifth or sixth book in the series, you can kind of tell that my voice was starting to change. I really wanted to tell the stories of the characters, their emotional stories, more than I wanted to focus on the dead body and solving a crime, Mm. uh, which is kind of an issue when you're writing mystery. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if my readers, those who've been following me from the very beginning, could see this coming a mile away, where I was going. Because the books have started to get more about the emotional journey and what these characters wanted out of life and how they're going to get there. And um, so I had that um, idea that I wanted to write a bigger book in mind for a little while. It was, I think I first started toying with the idea back in maybe 2009 era. Um, So... But by the time I had the idea for Midnight at a Blackbird Cafe, it was... Um, it was 2013. It was the very end of 2013. It was like Christmas time. We had gotten um, one of those wireless speakers, which was all the rage back then. And we started streaming Pandora. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, so this was all very new to us. And we started plugging in, you know, the songs we like and bands we like. And back then, and I don't know if they still do because we don't, sorry, Pandora, listen very often um, anymore. They would recommend songs to add to your playlist. And one of those songs, because we had a bunch of Beatles songs in there, was um, Blackbird by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And I had never I had never heard it before. I had never heard it before. And I became obsessed. <laughs> I, I listened to that song on repeat. Once I heard it and I got the goosebumps and I could not stop thinking about that song. And when that kind of thing happens to me as a writer, I start to pay attention. Oh, yeah. Why? Why am I obsessed with the song? What is what am I connecting with? And I, it really came down to the lyrics um, of Blackbird singing in the dead of night, take these broken wings and learn to fly. And I got to thinking, okay, so broken wings, Blackbird singing, uh, where am I going with this? And um, it just got me thinking about all the ways that people are broken in different ways. And I know there's a lot of people that don't like to say that people get broken, but just for my frame of mind and writing a story, this is the way I was thinking about it. How are people broken? Obviously, grief is a huge way that um, hurts people. Um, And Blackbird is really, Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe is really all about a grief journey um, and healing from it. Um, But there's also, you know, you have your divorce, divorcees and uh, job loss and all these different kinds of things that can really, you know, kind of break you down. Um, and that bl- that book is just all about healing. It's it's really what all my standalones are about is healing and how to get through that. Um, so I had that idea in 2013, and um, 
But I was under contract for two books a year at that time to write mystery series. And I'm like, I don't have time for this right now. But <laughs> I talked to my agent about it and she's, she showed me her arm. She's like, I've got goosebumps. And I'm mm. like, okay, I know, I know I have something here. And then it was probably, it was 2015, 2016, um, the cozy, I was writing cozy mysteries and one of the big houses that I was writing for decided to close their paperback line uh, for cozy mysteries. So I had a big decision to make whether I was going to try to move my mystery series to another house, which is really difficult to do um, unless you're a mega bestseller, um, or finally take the leap and try a new genre and um, you know, know that I might fail in doing so. But at least I was going to finally write the book that has been eating at me for years. Mm. Um, and it really was the book of my heart, which I think comes across in the story, which is why I think it's one of the reasons it's so well has been so well received. Um, and so I took the leap, and fortunately, it was a soft landing for me. So um, it got picked up, and here I am. Um, I love that. Well, that was yeah. the first book of yours that I read, and I do agree that the way that you develop your characters and an emotional connection to them is so beautiful because I don't know, it just connects you in a really cool way. And I want to jump ahead to a question that I, that I have sort of queued up for you about, so you get this inspirational idea and I love that. I love that there was just this song in your head that inspired you. I think that's incredible. What what do you do next when it comes to like researching the books? I guess if I was starting from scratch, I'd be like, do Blackbirds really sing in the dead of night? Like where, like, where, <laughs> like let's dig into this. Um, what does that look like for you in terms of adding in those layers of, of sort of research and, and bringing the story to life? Oh, right. So for Blackbirds, since that's what we're focused on right now, yeah. um, it was very much what do I know about blackbirds and um, where do I go from here? And my very, my original very first thought of what, okay, so if blackbirds do sing in the middle of the night, what are they singing? What, 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 what are they trying to say to us? Mm. And my very original thought was um, that my main character would hear them saying, oh, I have to backtrack a little bit because I knew from my witch series um, that blackbirds were often known as um, the guardians to the other world. Mm. And in terms of other world, you know, whether that's heaven, um, I think of it as kind of heaven, um, but it's where you go after you pass from this world. Um, and I knew that in folklore that they were the guardians of that other world. And so I was like, well, maybe they're telling my main character when other people are going to pass away and then it's going to be up to her to fulfill like bucket lists and things like that. Um, but then I was kind of asking around friends and things saying, if you, if somebody knew the day you were going to die, would you want to know? And across the board, it was no. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Um, see, I differ a little bit. I wouldn't mind knowing, <laughs> um, but, but everybody else was like, no, no way. So then my next thought, well, was what, do I most want to hear? Like if blackbirds could sing to me something from the other world, what would I most want to hear? And it was absolutely 100%. I would want to hear from a loved one yeah. that has already gone before me. And once I had that, 
then the other pieces kind of started falling into place because blackbirds are also associated with, um, you know, sing a song of sixpence, um, 24 blackbirds baked in a pie. Um, and so then I had a pie connection. Mm. I was like, okay, so what if I had blackbirds singing in the dead of night? These messages from loved ones that are received when you eat a piece of pie and then go to sleep that night and then you dream that message. And it sounds absolutely kind of nutty when you say it out loud, <laughs> but it really works in the story. It's so um, good. I love it. Yeah. So um, I think that we have all, actually everybody I've talked to, I won't say ev- you know everybody has had this, but everybody I've talked to about it has had a dream of somebody who has passed away before them. That seems very, very real. Like you wake up and it was like, did I just dream that or was that a visit? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of that, you know, when people finish that book, I hope that they come away um, knowing or feeling, I guess, that there is life beyond what we live here. And whether you uh, have a visit in a dream, is it a dream or is it a visit? You know, that kind of thing. I hope you're comforted by that because that's what the books are about, healing and comfort. So I think that's the beauty of the magical realism genre. It's my, I I think I want to dare to say it's my favorite genre, definitely for fiction. And um, I think that's what I like about it is I think reality is really magical. And I actually do believe, I mean, I talked to my son about my father who passed um, all the time and he's had these incredibly vivid dreams about him mm. that are like out of it. It's there's no way he could know the things that he knows without right. it potentially without it, in my belief, being a visit it, just to totally play on this exact concept we're talking about. And I love that. I love that so much. It's it, I have so many stories that are just it brings me to tears. It's so cool. And that's what I love the most about life. So I think that's why I love this genre. And also why I love your novels is because it just, I always feel good after I read them. Um, but I also specifically connect a lot to the subject matter, which we'll dive into more as well. But I want to hear you share a little bit more about this magical realism genre. And in your opinion, I would just love to hear sort of your take on it. Right. So, I mean, I don't think I actually knew there was a label for this genre before I started writing Blackbird. I just knew that there was kind of magic in it. Um, And I had been writing magical worlds for a while. Uh, I had a a mystery series um, called the Lucy Valentine Mysteries. They're set in Boston and she's a psychic. She's a psychic who um, reunites lost loves. And So I had that kind of magic and I had the witchy kind of magic, Um, but those are very explained magic. They have a definite origin story. Uh, They follow, you know, they kind of have a fantasy bent to them. Magical realism, on the other hand, is magic that doesn't need explanation. It just simply is. Um, And it exists. It's normal in this world. So for Blackbird... Um, when you're in the town of Wicklow, which is the town that Blackbird is set in, mm-hmm. a fictional town, if you said to somebody, oh, have you heard the Blackbird singing in the dead of night? Did you get your piece of pie? Did you get your message? These are not weird conversations for people in this town. This is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely heard them. And I had my pie and I had that visit. And 
I'm going back for another piece. These are just normal, <laughs> normal things that they're not really questioned that often. There are some characters who are like, do you really believe this? Um, just for the sake of a little bit of reality in the magic, magical realism world. Um, I do try to give um, a little backstory to the magic um, a little bit, but really in these towns, it just is. In south of the Buttonwood tree, there's a tree that dispenses advice on buttons. Um, and yeah, people go and it's not, it's not a big deal that this tree has, gives buttons with advice on it. Um, and I love that. And I try for the most of my books, I really try to make the magical elements something, I'm not going to say everyday magic, but kind of like, it's not that impossible. It's not that impossible to get a visit from a loved one who has passed away, or it's not impossible to follow the wind, um, to find something that's lost mm. or um also in the buttonwood book um there's a character who talks to houses she can hear what houses have to say i loved that and, novel by the way i loved yeah. i was trying to decide which was my favorite that one might be my favorite <laughs> but i don't know thank you i love it too um it got a little lost in the pandemic it came out right in july mm. of 2020 and it was just really hard time to promote books so i really hope that its audience grows because i th- I, I think it's a really sweet story. Um, well, I want to actually ask, so all of the the books that I've read of these sort of standalone fictional novels that you've written have this element um, of flowers and herbalism and nature and mm-hmm. the folklore affiliated with them weaved into it. And I'm so curious about what inspires that in your novels about just you um, and how that is that a theme you think you'll take into all of your novels? Is that sort of unique to your style or where does that come from? I, I'm just, I'm a person who is just super connected to nature. Um, so I like to weave nature into all of my books. Um, I find, and one of the things I always say for everyday magic is if you just really look at a flower petal or a leaf, the veining on a leaf. Like to me, that's, it's almost magical. Like how was this created? Um, the bark of a tree, um, just all these kind of things just kind of spark my imagination to tell stories about them. Um, I'm just, I love nature. I, I mean, there's some, (laughs) there's some dark side to nature too, but for the most part, it's just, I just find that I find a little bit of magic in birds and flying and um, planting a seed and watching it grow from nothing. It's a seed and suddenly it's this beautiful plant um, or a majestic tree. And um, I think that a lot of tie in with nature um, and magic, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, So it's easy to kind of weave it into my stories. And because so many of my stories deal with healing, the herbalism that you mentioned earlier, that kind of plays a role too. Like there's a lot of healing that comes from nature um, that the the earth gives back to us in herbs and plants. And, you know, you think about even chamomile tea. I mean, how many people actually stop and think where chamomile tea comes from? Um, But, you know, it's a plant. It's a, you know, and so much of that plant can be used for different things. Um, like yeah. the flower is edible, the tea is a healing. Um, you can crush it and use it for dye. I mean, there's just nature gives so much back to us, and I think it's you know as my it's my duty as an author to try to um, share that as much as I can. 
Oh, I love that. Well, and speaking of that, um, I think, and now I'm going to have to jog my memory. I'm pregnant. So I have to blame absolutely everything <laughs> on pregnancy brain. That is a valid excuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it was, I think it was Buttonwood where they, uh, you talk a lot about the, the meaning of flowers and the way that they impact people when they're eaten. When they, well, yeah. So Buttonwood definitely had, um, actually, no, it wasn't Buttonwood. It was Blackbird was had Blackbird? a whole thing on where my, one of my main characters, Anna Kate, her grandmother was very nature oriented and believed in the healing of, of, um, plants and herbs and taught Anna Kate this kind of earth medicine uh, versus, you know, and her other, her paternal grandfather was a medical doctor. So there was always that kind of disconnect for her. Um, do you trust modern medicine or do you trust mm. like the old kind of folklore medicine? And I hope I found the right balance in between. I don't think personally, I do not think it's one or the other. I think it's both. Um, and it's just finding that balance between them. But uh, in the middle of Hickory Lane that just came out, of course, deals with the language of flowers um, in terms of how they relate to people and personalities and uh, things like that. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about application in your life. Like if there was anything from your life in terms of herbalism or flowers that you use or swear by or any of it that kind of comes through from recipes and things like that. There, I was trying to think of a good answer to this question, and I don't really have one. I just love being surrounded by it. Um, but I am a huge believer in symbolism. Like if I, oh, I'll, you know, if something happens, I'll be, oh, that wasn't a coincidence. That mm-hmm. that definitely meant something. Um, but for me personally, I don't. I do have acorns. I love acorns, and mm. they are to in folklore. They're very much a protection. Um, object. So I do have them kind of scattered all over the house. I love that. Um, every I've got ceramic ones. I've got real ones. Every time I'm on a walk and I find one, I kind of just pick it up and bring it home. And um, people who really believe in that have them in all their windowsills. I just kind of have them on bookcases, and I just love them. But I think that's probably the most I've I've gone into that route. But you know, I'm a big believer in like herbal teas um, to help you peppermint tea for an upset stomach. Um, I love but you that. know, teas teas can also be dangerous, so you have to you have to know what you're dealing with when you're drinking it. So yeah, well, and I liked the way you wove in the language of flowers um, in Hickory Lane, and I know that's the latest novel that you've got available, like right now, for us to read. Uh, yes. Loved that story as well. And we're, so I didn't do, I didn't do my research on cross-referencing <laughs> all the flowers that you mentioned. That's all right. Um, I'm not sure. I remember them all. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, and I was going to say, is that based on sort of the Victorian language of flowers? Because that's where I'm most familiar and where I feel like there's most folklore is sort of this Victorian era interpretation of sending messages through flowers. It's interesting because when I first started that book and I knew I wanted this garden in the middle of Hickory Lane, I actually pictured it as a vegetable garden. Um, I was kind of going, the whole kind of theme of that book is um, 
grow through what you go through, you know, that mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. Um, and I was going to have the whole theme of, you know, growing vegetables from the seed, watching them grow, you know, the kind of that kind of thing. And then I was researching just, it was probably a day I was really procrastinating because um, <laughs> I like to do, I like to do that a lot when I'm writing. Um, and I was looking up marigolds because I knew that a lot of people plant marigolds around vegetable gardens mm-hmm. um, to keep out rabbits and pests and things like that. And I think I stumbled upon that marigolds were um, symbolized anguish. Mm. And I was like, huh. And I kept, I kept thinking about marigolds. And again, when that kind of thing happens to me, I'm like, okay, I'm going in the wrong direction here. This needs to be a flower garden and the flowers need to t- help tell the story. Um, so uh, I set in every other chapter, it begins with a little, a little paragraph or two told from the point of view of the grandmother in the story. Her name is Glory. Um, it's Glory's Gardening Lessons. And she just basically gives a little uh, flower language lesson in the beginning of these chapters. And the first one, I think, is moss. And she talks about mm-hmm. how moss symbolizes a mother's love. Um, and she ties it into how one of my main characters, Emmy, her mother's kind of lousy. So Glory tells her, your mom must have m- missed that memo. Um, <laughs> so it. Each of these lessons ties into the story and in one way or another. And actually, they help solve the mystery that's in the story as well. But that's a spoiler, so I'm not going to yes. go there. I but loved I, that element of the story. Just being someone that like understands and appreciates and grows and like looks, actually just researches for self-knowledge, the meaning of flowers. I was so yes. jazzed about it. Yeah. So, but when I was researching flowers, um, I kind of picked and chose um, the meanings that I needed for the book. So sometimes they were Victorian, sometimes they weren't. Sometimes I found some in the Farmer's Almanac. I found some from mythology. Um, So they kind of just um, went with what I needed to move the story forward. And lots of times um, flowers have double meanings. Like, um, for example, the marigolds. They mean anguish, but they also mean comfort. Mm. Um, so that's why you often see them at funerals because they're sadness, but they bring comfort of the heart. Um, trying to think of another one. Oh, gardenias, uh, one point in the story. And I don't know if I actually even mentioned this or if it's just for people who understand flowers, kind of got the secret meaning to it. Um, one point in the story, one of the main characters receives a bouquet of gardenias and in the language of flowers, gardenias mean a secret love, mm. um, but they can also mean purity and gentleness. But in my mind, they meant secret love. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just uh, picked what I needed to move the story forward. I love that. I think that's so fun. I don't know. That's like little Easter eggs, you know, being yes. like planted through the novel. And I just always think that's super fun. And I also liked... um not to go back to Blackbird, but in that novel, the way the main character just made little salves and tinctures. And I feel like just, it's always, you do a good job of relating the flowers and the herbs back to sort of the nature of the character as well. And really like enhancing the novel with that, especially people that just 
I, I guess like you, like you, like nature, I feel like it helps them develop a deeper connection. Yes. Thank you. Because I do try. I do try to connect us all. <laughs> Sometimes it works better than other times, but um, I just, like I said, I think the earth has so much to give and to share it with people who might not know. And I don't, um, as you know, I'm not much of a gardener myself, um, but I just love it so much that I kind of immerse myself in it. It's like, in my head, I'm the best gardener ever. So this is this is my way. Instead of planting my own garden, this is my way of planting a garden. Honestly, though, I think it's as meaningful. I mean, and and similarly in my head, I'm also the best gardener. And in reality, <laughs> I I kill a lot of things. All all good and bad gardeners do. Um, but I think it's so life enhancing. There's so, there are so many. There's actual like you know facts and science behind the impact of nature and green spaces and flowers and gardening. But I think just connecting people in a way that you've been gifted to bring them into that realm is so meaningful. And I think a lot about that just in general and how much I think society needs that reconnection. And so I think this is a beautiful foray into it for you and for your readers, even if it has nothing to do with actually getting your hands in the dirt, there's still that comforting, beautiful, I don't know, I don't know how to put it into words. I should have tried better before we started to chat, but I think it's I I think you're doing a great job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I want to jump in really quick and take a pause to tell you guys about something really fun that's happening this week and this week only. I have teamed up with a really good girlfriend named Kelsey who has written the definitive resource truly on bone broth and healing your gut using natural ingredients and food. You guys know how passionate I am about this. Growing your own produce finding natural sources, homegrown, loved on sources for your meat. And Kelsey has um, written this incredible ebook that's on my website for you to download for free right now. It is dozens of recipes, soups, casseroles, pastas for sneaking in super, super good for you bone broth. We are also having a limited time offer on her Broth Academy, which is live this week. It's once a year. She opens the doors up for this deep dive into making your own bone broth. And really, it's all about nourishing you and your family from the inside out. We all know gut health microbiome is so important to all of health. And Kelsey has done this incredible deep dive on getting to the bottom of the matter. So bone broth is really specific, but it's just a key ingredient that we can add into our food to really enhance our lives. And that sounds dramatic, but I promise you it's not. So go to baileyvantassel.com forward slash bone broth for the scoop. This is what supports the podcast, you guys, but also this is something that I hope supports your health big, big, big time. Okay, back to our interview. I want to hear a little bit more about how you even got into writing. I think most people that love reading probably also wish they were a writer. And so I'm curious how, how you even got into it. I mean, this is, you have quite the breadth of work. I mean, it's so impressive. 
Yeah, it's um, I'm actually one of the rare writers I know that who grew up. Um, I didn't want to be a writer when I grew up. Mm. Um, a lot of my friends are, you know, I knew when I was five, I wanted to be a writer. I have my very first book still. Um, and I'm like, mm, nope. I grew up, I wanted to be a medical examiner. Oh. Um, I know, it's kind of crazy. I uh, was a latchkey kid. Both my parents worked when I was little. So I would come home from, I would walk home from school and I would let myself in the house. And a lot of times my friend was the TV. So I would turn on the TV at three o'clock and um, General Hospital was on, which had a character named Heather Weber, which is a little funny now. Um, she was evil. I loved her. And um, at four o'clock, Quincy M.E. came on. I don't know if you know Quincy M.E., but no. he was a, it was a very popular show back in the day. And he's this medical examiner who goes around solving crimes. And I'm like, this is what I want to be. And I was in college for about a week when the biology professor said that we would have to dissect a cat. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like, see ya. Because I, to me, people were fine. Like, you could cut open people all day long, but an animal? Nope. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I, I had to draw the line. So um, I, but it wasn't too long after that. I was uh, married and pregnant. And I, by the time I was 25, I had three little ones, and I woke up. I was a stay-at-home mom, and I woke up one morning with this entire story in my head. It was that same angel, baseball, uh, love triangle, family saga story, and I said to my husband, I said, I had this amazing dream. And I said, it's this whole story. I can totally see it as this movie, and I said, no, it can't be a movie because, you know, the movies always cut out the best parts. Um, <laughs> I said, but it would be a great book. And he looked at me and he said, why don't you write it? Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can do that. Um, so I was, we had just gotten our first computer. It was 1998, uh, might've been 1997. Um, and my daughter, my youngest child was two. Um, and when she would go in for her naps, I would sit down at that computer and I would write and I would get so much written done. And then she'd wake up and I'd have like 74 minutes of Cinderella. Uh, so oh I wrote that, I wrote that entire book between nap time and Cinderella time pretty much. So, and I finished it and I was like, Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. I'm going to be a published author. And I sent it off to agents and editors and I got rejection after rejection after rejection and I cried and I cried and I cried and my husband's like, you know, it's a business. You can't cry, but books are personal. Like you put a lot of yourself into your books. Um, and it took a long time for me to accept rejection. And it got to a point where I said, okay, I'm going to give myself five years to get published. By then my daughter would be in school full time. Um, so I would either be published by then, or I was going to go back to college, uh, to get a nursing degree. Wow. And I know. So I'm like, okay, I've got to like my 30th birthday and <laughs> I got my first contract six months before my 30th birthday. Oh my gosh. So I love this. I cut it real close. <laughs> um, but it was just, I, my husband and I laugh now because I, we, we talk about it and we said, well, what if you hadn't 
looked at me and said, why don't you write it? Where would I be right now? Would I be a nurse? Would I be like, what would my life look like? And I honestly don't know because writing that story really sparked something in me that I need to tell stories. I have a lot of stories in me to tell. So, and it just went from there. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So you like raised these babies and wrote books and just followed your heart. I mean, it's literally like a dream story actually, kind of. It it kind of is. (laughs) It really, you know, I think about it. I was an 18 year old mom. Oh my gosh. uh, With, you know, and when I started writing, I had three little ones. I, you know, my daughter was two, so two, four and six. And, uh, and my husband, I don't, you know, I, I try to give him as much credit as I can because I couldn't have done it without him. And I didn't start making a living because writers, especially cozy mystery writers, don't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he, he wasn't there supporting, you know, being supportive financially as well, uh, never mind emotionally, which is off the charts. Oh, of um, course. It just wouldn't have happened. And it's kind of amazing. I love that. I, uh, similar, I mean, different, but similar to you. I mean, I work basically just in the hours that my kids are at school, which with my youngest is part-time. And so there's a lot of, one, I have these competing passions, my family, and then my work. And then there is this emotional component, especially when you're a creative person that I think the husbands absorb, at least I know mine does, where I have a little bit of this angst where I feel like I have to creatively express. And if I don't get it out in the timing that I want to get it out, I'm annoyed. And it's not (laughs) like anyone's problem, but my own, but it's, it's become this art form to sort of harness the creativity and, and like, like you kind of explain, and there, I mean, I know from personal experience, it's not as easy as sitting down and writing when your child's napping and then putting on Cinderella. Like there's so much right. that goes into it and there's lots of ticklebacks and songs and snacks and milk and stories and like things in your mind while you're trying yes. to also birth a creation that feels so important to your heart. So I just love knowing that it's very inspirational to hear you talk about it because that's the stuff that you actually don't hear about when it comes to the creative process and people. Right. I was just buy. thinking that's a whole podcast in and of itself well, being a creative, totally. creative mom. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like if I had known, we could have taken this in a whole nother direction. <laughs> but it is. I mean, that's a whole entire yes. pursuit in itself. It's a very specific but I think sometimes the more specific, the more general, yeah. actually, that the human experience is, the more you can dive into the specifics of it, the more we've all experienced it. Um, but I love hearing that. So what do your what yeah. do your kids think now about mom's novels? Well, it's interesting because I still have two living at home and they're old. They're, he's 20. <laughs> he's, how old is he now? 29. And she's 27. And they they just kind of came back after college and didn't go back again. And and I am okay with that, actually. I love mm. having them here. Um, but for example, I just was under deadline um, not too long ago, and it was it was overwhelming. So it was a lot of long days of writing mm. in front of the computer. It was, but you know, because they're older now, they offer support in so many other ways. My daughter would bring me tea. Mm. They would make dinner. They'd always, do you need anything? Can I get you something? And it's just like, it's kind of like that full circle moment. And it's like, oh, I love them so much. Um, (laughs) 
but they, you know, to me, I'm just mom. I'm just mom. It's kind of neat. My where my daughter works, she works in at a genetics company, and they have a book club, and oh. they read my books, and we, we, um, well, because of COVID, we've been doing book clubs on uh, Zoom, yeah, and and it's just it's so neat to have that connection, and it's all I connected with them solely through her, um, her saying, you know, my mom writes books. If you guys love to read, if you got a book club, you might want one of my mom's books. Um, they don't read my books though. Mm. So, and I'm also okay with that. And my husband doesn't read my books either. And I don't want him to read my books. Um, (laughs) he's like, I recognize this character. Yes. Well, no, not necessarily. It's just that I value his opinion so much that if he didn't like it, it would crush me. Yeah. So, so as he doesn't read it, he cannot not like it. So there you go. When I write a book, I'm pretty sure my husband's not going to read it. So, (laughs) yes. So for me, that works, but I know I have author friends who their first reader is their husband and, um, that's amazing for them. But for me, I know, um, I just, I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with him not liking something I wrote. So, uh, we just don't go there. Yeah. So tell me what is next for you. You, You're working on a novel right now coming out next summer and I'm really excited about that. So can you give us like a sneak peek on where you're at with that novel? Like what can you share? So it's called, um, at the coffee shop of curiosities and it's about, um, a young woman who lives in Cincinnati like I do. And, uh, she gets this mysterious letter, uh, that, uh, says to, it's a help wanted ad for a, a peculiar old man who lives, um, beachside in Alabama. And she believes that it's been sent by her ex-boyfriend who passed away a month ago. Um, so there's this whole kind of ghostly theme or it's more of a spiritual theme than a ghostly theme, but that it does play a role in there. And so she actually goes to apply for this job at this coffee shop. And, um, she just wants a little bit of normalcy in her life. She's dealt with epilepsy her most of her life. And, uh, she just wants to be somewhere where she's viewed as normal, but Mm -hmm. she just happened to move to the most not normal town, um, (laughs) in the country. So (laughs) where, uh, there's curiosities. The coffee shop owner matches um, items with their. So it's she calls them curiosity. She's finds something at a thrift sale or a flea market. For example, my main character, the one with epilepsy, she she gives her a thimble. She knows it's meant for her. She knows that this thimble will lead her um, in a direction in her life um, that maybe has been missing from her life. Um, and she that's what she kind of lives for is to match these curiosities with people mm. um and it's just it's a really sweet story about um kind of just owning who you are all of it the good the bad the ugly and accepting yourself for exactly who you are oh i love that oh my gosh yeah. i love this i'm so excited i'm going to be first in line when oh, thank you. You get yeah. like your publishing date and all of that. So yeah, I think it will be out in August. So oh, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Well, my last question for you is: Although you are a self-proclaimed brown thumb, what do you wish that you could <laughs> grow more than ever? If there was one thing, I normally ask everybody, "What's your favorite thing to grow?" Mm-hmm. Um. So what would what would be your favorite if you could grow something endlessly? What would it be? Endlessly. Oh my goodness. I don't know. 
This is a hard one. Uh, so my favorite flowers are daisies. I would probably say daisies. Um, but there's so, I have so many favorite flowers. Um, I would truly love an English cottage garden. Mm-hmm. Just one of these days. I know I have a shady yard. It's I'm woodsy, mm-hmm. hardly gets any light at all. But one day I think I'm going to have to move somewhere where I can plant a little English cottage garden. And I would also love to grow vegetables one day because I think that's really, I think it's really you know, it's such a such a natural thing to grow your own food, right? This mm-hmm. is I, I'm so used to going to the grocery store to buy stuff that I need, but I think there's something so beautiful in planting a seed and eating the fruit one day. So, I mean, I hope it is the most magical experience, and it doesn't yeah. get old. Like I've been gardening and starting things from seed now for years, and it just never ceases to be a special moment in your ordinary life when you're like. Oh, my seeds are coming up, you know? Yeah. I tried a few years ago to grow, I think it was geraniums, and I planted mm. them from seed and kept them in the sunlight. And then when they sprouted, it was the most amazing day. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. Um, something happened between the growing and the transplanting that I don't know what happened, but... Mm. We won't talk about that. Yes. But the day they sprouted, I was like dancing around the house. It really is magical. I love that. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.